The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. It is time for Streetwise with former chief of the New York City Sheriff's Department, former chief of the Seagate Police Department, retired New York City detective, Time Warner Public Access Media Award, Joe Franklin Super Excellence in Broadcasting Memory Lane Award, New York Veteran Police Association Streetwise Productions, host of Streetwise, Mr. Lou Tarano. Uh, good evening and welcome back to Streetwise. I gotta do this quick because I only got my guests for about 20 minutes this evening. Anyway, uh, he's been on here before. I want to welcome him back in a second. I have to tell you, I remind you who he is. He's an acclaimed leading scholar of ancient and military history, author of numerous best-selling books, senior fellow in, in residence at the Hoover Institute in Stanford University, which is in California. Interesting because I think it's also called the Institution of War. He's a distinguished fellow of history at the Hillsdale College. That's in Michigan. He teaches classical and liberal arts. Uh, he's got a, uh, he teaches also a classic program at the University, uh, State University of California. Columnist and commentator. I just recently seen him on the Fox News and he's seen him on many other uh, talk shows. He's, he's a great, he has a great book out there, but I want to, uh, before we talk about uh, his great book, I want to welcome back to Streetwise, Professor Victor Davis Hanson. Professor Victor Hanson, welcome back to Streetwise. Thank you for having me. Okay. You, you know, you, uh, you know I, I always are impressed. You, uh, you know, when you were here uh, December on the show, uh, you and I, one of the things we spoke about was Notre Dame. And... Uh, I mean, you can you could talk about anything. The 300 Spartans. You can talk about World War One, and you're an expert in World War Two. Uh, you spoke about two things that uh, actually uh, pretty much surfaced. Uh, you had said that Donald Trump will have a dialogue with Kim Jong Un of North Korea, and we also have, uh, I guess, a summit meeting, uh, and also met with Vladimir Putin of Russia, and. You were right on target. I gotta compliment you that, but I don't have to because you, uh, I'll tell you, uh, anyway, let's discuss that. Uh, how did you know that was gonna take place? Um, well, when Trump said he was gonna run for office, I looked at a lot of his books, The Art of the Deal series, Art of the Comeback, Make America Great, etc. And then I never watched The Apprentice, I watched a little bit, some YouTube versions of it. And then I looked at the people around him, and it seemed to me that he was a typical Manhattan real estate broker. And I don't mean that necessarily pejoratively. Mm. And that is that he blusters, he asks for three times more than what he's willing to take. He uses obscenities or crudities. He gets his opponent off, and then... At an opportune moment, he's willing to negotiate a 54, 55% favorable deal, and the opponent then goes for it. So, and he usually makes these deals with the idea that if you were disinterested, you would agree that his position was the majority position. So, he knew that China was cheating. He knew mm. that no American president was of a background to threaten them. He knew they didn't want to even use the word tariff, but he knew that if he said tariffs were good and he did this and said that, then he could get a 55% deal, which was pretty good. Hmm. And the same thing is true of NATO. The same thing is true 
Uh, I think he's trying to cut a deal with the North Koreans and and uh, the Russians as well. But that's how he negotiates. And people from the Kennedy School of Government or the Council on Foreign Relations or the Economics Department at, at Harvard, they don't understand that. They're from a different cultural, political, social background. Mm. Now, I think you also said what you did say, is that uh, this president, uh, they were a little concerned about him. When I say concerned, uh, how do I say this? They're worried about him. In other words, they uh, they didn't have uh, they weren't worried about the former president and probably even Bush as well. But uh, they respect someone who they're afraid of, or they're afraid of somebody, and they and they respect him. And that's what Donald Trump seems to be. And uh, you know uh, something interesting. Uh, I did happen to watch uh, your speech on the uh, national when you spoke before the national. Review institution back uh, last year, and uh, you did mention that uh, China uh, is probably more has more respect for us now than they did uh, with the previous presidents. And how did you know that as well, uh, Doctor? Well, I, I think authoritarian mm -hmm. figures, whether it's Putin or Chai, they they have respect for people who are tough with them, mm. and they have disdain for people that they can take advantage of or who lecture them while being weak. And so Barack Obama was always so willing to have a hot mic exchange mm. with Mr. Medved, and he didn't care too much about what China did. I had a conversation once with a Chinese official, and she told me off the record I, she couldn't figure out Obama because he didn't do anything about the occupation of the Spratly Islands. He didn't do anything when China intruded into Japanese air and naval space. He didn't do anything about North Korea. He didn't do anything about trade. And this was all from a context of we're taking you to the cleaners. Why haven't you done anything? Yeah. What she was saying is we don't have respect for your president. And same with I talked to German, a lot of German mm. people that I know, one in particular and. Uh, Germany knew that it was running up a $65 million trade deficit uh, surplus with us, and it knew that it was not paying its 2% investment in military spending that it promised. It was only doing 1.3. It knew that it had the largest account surplus in the world at $270 billion, and it knew that uh, it was running Europe, whether on immigration or financial terms, to Greece and Spain and Italy, or the way it treated Britain after Brexit, it knew all that, but it knew that Obama either wasn't interested in calling them to account or couldn't. And then they met Trump, and they hate him mm. because he's he's holding them to account on NATO, and he's holding them on tariffs, he's tariffs. holding them on trade in general, mm. and he's he, he's attacking their open borders policy. And as one person said, we don't like him, but we have more respect for him off the record, he said. Don't quote me. Because this is what a leader is supposed to do, protect his own nation's interests. That's what we do. And your leaders have not done that. And the reason they haven't is they feel that a large portion of the population was expendable, at least in economic terms, that the coasts were doing well under globalization and current trade and something. But people in Ohio or northern, uh, southern Illinois or western Pennsylvania or the Central Valley of California. That was their problem if they didn't know how to code or, or program or they weren't in insurance or finance. 
but if they were in old-fashioned muscular labor, then it's time for them to pack it up and go away. And, that, and Trump saw that, and he created a political constituency for what he's doing now. Well, you know, my, my next guest is, is a congressional candidate out here in Long Island. And, uh, he's sitting here listening to the show. He's right after you leave, I'm going to interview him. And he's shaking his head, so he's, uh, I can see where he's pretty much uh, coming from. Now, in, in other words, what you're saying, uh, uh, China pretty much took us for granted before Trump. And, and, it's, uh, and uh, the, I guess they weren't concerned about the tariffs, like you had mentioned, and trade relations, but they're concerned now. But you mentioned Germany. Uh, other countries have this uh, same feeling in, in regard to Donald Trump, Professor Hansen? Yeah, I think that Japan and South Korea, I think mm -hmm. South Korea secretly wanted an American president to stand up to China and to stand up mm. to North Korea about the missiles, but they were afraid that if they did stand up rhetorically, they wouldn't follow it up, so they didn't want to get ahead of us. And so when Trump came in, everybody said, well, we're going to frighten Japan and Taiwan and mm. South Korea because he's screaming and yelling about a nuclear war and all this. Mm. In fact, he was. But privately, when they saw that he was actually willing to negotiate and willing to beef up missile defense and their military and put more carriers in the region and have a real pivot, then I think they, they felt off the record mm. that they felt safer with him than they had with Obama. And this is counterintuitive because Obama was Weak. Ivy League, Harvard Law, mellifluous, <laughs> charismatic, young. But people abroad were more realistic. They didn't really, they liked Obama, they liked his image and the optics, but they felt that the United States was weak and on, in decline. I think that we were. That's right. They had no respect, and uh, Obama was sort of like a rock star. That's about it, as far as I'm concerned. You know, that's, that was his uh, personality and popularity, but meanwhile, the country was going down, you know. So, uh, now you mentioned missile defense. Is China now building up on their missile defense? Dr. Victor yeah, they are, but yeah. when this whole thing is settled and done, the problem is that China has is that we have a $19 trillion economy, and they may have, however you may have, $8, 9000000000000 trillion, but mm. it really means that with three times the population, the United States is outperforming them two to one and maybe two and a half to one. In other words, one American worker is producing more goods and services than two and a half Chinese, mm -hmm. and we have the world's largest military. We have 12 battle groups, carrier battle, they have one. Mm. We've got the most sophisticated planes and we're way ahead of them on missile defense. So what they're doing is they have 350,000 nationals in the United States, supposedly students. Uh, we just heard about Senator Feinstein's chauffeur of 20 years who was a spy. We just arrested a CIA, just arrested a spy mm. who had turned over all U.S assets in China and had them, the Chinese either arrested these operatives or killed them. So they cannot match us in terms of research and development, but they can if they steal our technology, and that's what they're doing, and they have an unfair trade system. So Trump, and they know it, and mm. so the reason that they're going to negotiate is they feel, they feel like a robber who's gone into a liquor store and taken out, you know, all of the inventory without with impunity, and then the new owner says, you know what, we don't want to have a war, but next time just take a case of beer. 
huh. and we'll call it even. And that's where we are. Mm. Trump's not saying we're going to get back to zero, zero, no surplus. He's just saying you're not going to run up a $360 billion surplus with this based on unfair practices. It's not going to happen. And so and then he says crazy things like, I like trade wars. I, I can win <laughs> trade wars. But what else is he going to say? What other assets does he have in his arsenal to coerce the Chinese? None. Mm. except a threat to go to bankrupt them. And he has the ability to do that, given the U.S. We can take pain, but we won't lose. Right. And the other prior administration said, we can't do any pain, we can't hurt, we can't question this orthodox view of absolutely free trade. And, and he said, I'll go to the wall, and I'm willing to do and think and consider anything, but we're not going to continue subsidizing this cheating, trade, and infringing nation under the guise or the sham of free trade it's not free it's not fair well and, and you know in your, in, in your book the uh, second world wars you pretty much say what you just said a moment ago we can take pain but we will but we will not lose and that seems to be united states of america from day one you know yeah, i think it's, so i think we forget sometimes that if you rate the top 20 universities in science and math we have 18 of the top 20 in the world if you look at energy production we've got the most natural gas oil and coal in the world if you look at agricultural wow. production we've got the greatest so we even in our periods of doubt we have enormous resources and power and, and we don't appreciate that unless you go overseas mm. and look at america from the outside rather than the inside and and if you put you know if you put another six million people to work and where I live, it's economically depressed in the center of the mm. San Joaquin Valley of California. But nobody can believe what's going on. There's signs, tilers wanted, truckers wanted, mm. welders wanted, fabric everywhere. Mm. And you're putting people back into the system, and you're giving leverage and clout to previously neglected workers. So it's it's United States is getting much more powerfully um, and much more powerful in economic terms. Mm. I got. I have to say this, my audience. Speaking of agriculture, you started off in life as a farmer. Yes, I do, and uh, <laughs> everybody's worried about tariffs, but they right. also understand that uh, Japan will not buy California rice or California fresh fruit or California oh. dried fruit without huge tariffs on them, mm. and they're willing to go a little bit longer with this so-called trade war until these countries loosen up especially China, and then it will get better. So I think that's what think that's what's going to happen. China is going to agree to buy more raw product from the United States and, and export a little less dumping, a little less dumping, maybe put a few more factories, and then we might see our trade deficit go from 350, 350 billion per year, maybe to 150. That'd be enormous if we could achieve that. And I think that's what his art of the deal mentality is about. But you know, it's sad. You know, I'm not. I'm just repeating what many of us realize or know, is that no matter what he does, it's all positive. He just can't get a break. I mean, is there? You know, with the press, of course. Obviously, no matter what he does, he can't do anything right according to the press. Why do you think that is? The matter, you know, everyone knows the economy's good, jobs are better. You just mentioned there's a lot of work available in, in California, yet there's so much homeless there. That's what I, another thing I just, it's mind-boggling. Well, you know, but. I, I think the reason is that there's a lot of 
subsidiary reasons. He culturally he shocks the establishment the mm. way he looks, the, his accent, Queen's accent, right. his mannerism, the lack of a foreign, first president without military or political experience. Mm. But I think what scares them is that he's capable. He doesn't look at the world in the way that most politicians who come out of mm. particularly predictable backgrounds do. And he appeals to people in, in really unpredictable ways. Yes. So the Republicans were tired of the Bushes, and they were tired of Mitt Romney, and they were tired of McCain that never took the gloves off. And he he knew that. So mm. whatever topic he's on, he'll go out and, and wade into a bunch of reporters, and he'll say inopportune things, or he'll say things that are crude. But at least people feel that he's taking on the cultural elite, the economic elite, the social elite. And that's resonating, and that makes the people who control the universities, the media, the bureaucracy, the foundations, Hollywood, mm. it makes them very angry at him because he represents an end to their monopoly of opinion. Wow, amazing. You know, I'm so limited with you. I just have to, you know, there's a, what you talk about, there's a Muslim immigration concern in Europe, and especially radical Islam. And uh, do, uh, do we have that concern here in this country? Well, we do, but because we're far distant, we're not on the Mediterranean, we, and we have a smaller population, we have a greater uh, propensity to assimilate people. Right. We're not as threatened, and we have a, a little bit better fertility rate ourselves of mm. native-born Americans. But the, the problem is still there. That right. We saw, I mean, they took a... They killed 3,000 people in the United States. They didn't kill them in Europe wow. in one attack. So, right. yeah, we have to be very careful, and that's another thing that Trump is yeah. saying, you know, if you can't guarantee that a guy with a passport has been vetted, we don't want him in the United States, mm. wherever you are. And because they don't like him for all these reasons we talked about, whether it's on the border or whether it's the Muslim ban, uh, not Muslim ban, a ban on countries that can't verify because Venezuela is among them as well. As, well as, of course. Yeah, but uh, mm. he, he's not going to be well-liked, and I think he's never really going to get 50% approval rating, at least un unless the economy grows at 7 or 8%. Or so. Oh, okay. Uh, I do have to compliment you because uh, uh, many of us have been around a while. Uh, we we uh, can recall uh, William F. Buckley, Jr., and... Uh, I think last year, was it last year when you received the William F. Buckley yeah. Jr. Prize Award in 2017? Yeah, I think yeah. it was 16 maybe. 16, 17, yeah. yes. You know, you know, when, when, uh, when William F. Buckley Jr. left us, I said, wow, will there be a, it's sad, it's like something that, uh, uh, we'll never see again. I have to tell you this, uh, I, I think you're it. Do you know? Thank you, I appreciate that. You know, it's just, it's just amazing. Uh, thank God there are, there are, for people like you, and uh, and you know you you, you just uh, I, I love you know I have I, I was around during World War II, but I was a baby, and you weren't around. You were born like, almost 20 years after. But it's amazing, you know. It's it just it's mind-boggling how uh, your the, the Second World War is plural. Your book is a complete chronological. My thought examination of World War Two, you know, about the tragedies and and you do mention what something many of us didn't realize it was the first global uh, war that was fought. Correct? 
Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. And who thinks about that? I mean, truthfully, you know, whether was, unless it's a William F. Buckley or a Professor Victor Davis Hanson, you know. So. <laughs> well, thank you. You know, so uh, where do you think we're heading now? You know, uh, in, in regard to, uh, I have to, do have to have to ask you this because the, it doesn't look like the media will lay off Donald Trump. I mean, given no, anything, it doesn't look they're like they're not going to do it. Uh, it's about it's not about ideology so much it's about power and people who are in Hollywood are not getting in invitations to the White House people in the never Trump movement in Washington New York are not being consulted and uh, there's a lot of attention given to places like Youngstown Ohio or mm. a plant in Milwaukee and uh, Trump himself, doesn't have very many parties at the White House. He doesn't have foreign guests very often. Mm. There's not imperial dinners. He doesn't seem to be interested in the bipartisan elite, and that drives a lot of people crazy. He'll, he'll, he's capable of saying anything at any time to anyone, anywhere, and the media doesn't know how to handle that. Well, what are your thoughts on that? Well, you, I, I think you know? that it's going to be very close because I think that if half the country, uh, in terms of Voters support his agenda, and they mm. they support, and they're willing to say, you know what, we had a cancer here in the country, and right. it's chemotherapy, and chemotherapy kills a cancer right. before it kills the host. So they're willing to put up with it, or they some of them even like it. They they think it's payback. Well. But he he has an uphill fight because if you turn on the television and you or in Saturday uh, late night comedy, oh, or it's cable TV, or it's Hollywood movie. Mm. Or it's uh, MSNBC. It's all negative all the time. So he has to go find a way to reach people through Twitter or Kenya West or whoever it is. Right. He's trying anything and everything, and he's got. He understood the economy that it was artificially repressed because Obama had psychologically demoralized entrepreneurs with certain regulations and tax policies and jawboning them into depression. And he right. came along and said. I'm president. I don't know how long I'm going to be president, but why I'm here, you better take advantage because we're going to really produce oil and gas and coal and steel. Yes. And if you may, and we're going to, I'm going to brag on guys that make money and are successful. I'm not going to lecture you. Sorry. And people psychologically got geared up, and they're really going full blast. So wow. he's in a race that people have to say that people on the fence will say, "Would I rather have a guy like Obama that?" speaks well and is careful but doesn't really do much and hasn't made, has not made made my life probably a little worse or mm. some guy that's controversial but the, the country is just unrecognizable from what it was two years ago. Well, I, I just quickly, you know, maybe I have another minute or two. Uh, obviously, your book is a great book, Second World Wars, plural. I just, uh, how many books have you, uh, uh, Professor Victor Davis Hanson, how many books have you written? I think 24 or 5. Uh. Yeah. Uh, it's just amazing. I know when you spoke last time, you said you saw the slowdown because you're up in age, but you, you know. <laughs> and yeah, uh, it, I, you did enough books. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at, I just want to talk about some of the books that I'm impressed with. The Father of All of Us, A War Like No Other, The Second World Wars, of course, which I just mentioned. The, uh, you go way back, the end of Sparta. I mean, it's, it's just amazing. Savior of Generals. Uh, Maxi Fournier. Interesting. That's, that's true. 
ripples of battle, solo battle, carnage and, and struggle. Uh, before I, I say goodbye to you, uh, it's, how did you, how did you really, you know, sit down and be able to absorb and then, uh, it, it, you're like a great, cause I, I was a former detective, you would remind me of a, a great, uh, detective, you know, how you put things together. I think anybody that does, that yeah. you, you give up certain things. So I didn't really socialize much. Wow. I stayed home with my family. I, I, you know, I didn't go out to dinner much. Wow. So I stayed most of my evenings at home working. And if, thank God for the internet and a laptop. Yes. I didn't have to carry a bag of books when I traveled. I could go to an airport and get all the text online I needed. Right. So yeah. I was kind of working 24-7 most of my life. But, you know, you get older, you think, well, maybe you should have gone to dinner more or traveled, you know. I know. We all do that. We all do yeah, that. Yeah, we all do that. Yeah. But, you, you, you know, uh, but you did. You, you, look, you neglected, I hate to say that, to what you're talking about, but you gave us something, us meaning the rest of the country and maybe even the world. You know, just I do. Well, I hope th- so. You, uh, no, I think you have. Uh, I, I want to thank you for your time, Doctor Professor Victor Davis Hanson. And uh, what can I say? It's always great to have you as my guest, and I hope you uh, we can do this again. Yeah, thank you for having me again. Thank you. God bless. Yeah. Stay and stay well, you and yours. Yeah. Thank you, Doctor Victor Davis Hanson. Okay, I'm going to take a quick break. Take a quick break right now, and. Uh, Hang in there. My guest is coming on, running for Congress. This is WGBB AM 1240 and W240 DF FM 95.9 Freeport, New York. Why is my son having trouble in school? Finding lowest airfare to Istanbul. No, I'm tired of fighting with my son over his homework. Home walk restaurant need a review? No, he's smart, but his mind wanders. Seven wonders of the world. Why don't you understand me? I do. I was trying to show how Connor feels every day. Redirecting to understood.org. Join parents and experts at understood.org, a free online resource about learning and attention issues to help your child thrive. Brought to you by understood.org and the Ad Council. We're back. I'm back with uh, great guest. No, I, I, I hope you liked my previous guest because I'll tell you this, I'm so impressed with him. And uh, I have a feeling I have a young fellow in front of me that's going to pretty much follow, you know, in, in sort of, you know, in his direction, his feeling. And uh, Anyway, folks, I'm going to throw you a bone. His name is uh, Dan DeBono. He's a congressional candidate, and I have to say he's a Republican candidate. And he's running against a familiar name, no secret. He's running against uh, Tom Swazi, and um, he is a gentleman, and uh, I have to tell you this, former Navy SEAL, and, you know, I would have him as uh, my congressman, then uh, some, how do I say this, when I get in trouble, strikes the attorney, well, what can I tell you, anyway, Dan DeBono, welcome to Streetwise, welcome to the show. Lou, thank you very much for having me, it's a pleasure to be here with you. Okay, first of all, uh, is this your first time running for office at, at, at any office? Yes, it is. It is. Oh, okay. And you, you took on the big one. When I say the big one, con- Congress. Because if you, you know, you could see what's going on in Congress now. And are you willing to, to jump into that crazy mix? And can you handle it? Let's put it this way. It's a calling. It's a calling. Oh. So it's, it's, it feels like an obligation in many ways. And mm. I come from a long tradition of uh, service in my family. Oh. So for me, it's just a natural progression of what I've done and what my family members have done before me. 
Do you, you know, there's a comparison with, uh, and I'm sure you'll like this compliment, and it is a compliment, with you and Donald Trump. No political background, right? And, uh, and, and, and here you go, and, you know, some, that may be the secret, folks. We gotta, you know, uh, who always, uh, who's your politicians? A former lawyer. I mean, nine out of ten times. All my guests all these years, they're all attorneys that come here running for, some real estate, some business people, majority of them are attorneys. But when it comes to law, Congress, the U.S. Senate, you know, you need somebody, uh, who's militarized, I guess you could use that if there is such a word, and he's sitting in front of me. So, uh, let's talk about what areas that these, uh, some of uh, our listeners can know that you're running in Dan DeBono. The third district of New York is the north shore of Long Island and northeast Queens. So the district goes from the Whitestone Bridge, and oh. then it, it gerrymanders around uh, down to Glen Oaks. So it includes the Whitestone right. area, parts oh. of Bayside Terrace, Glen Oaks, Douglaston, Little Neck, and then it cuts across through Kings Park High School in the town of Smithtown, and it's generally bound on the south Amazing. district by the Long Island Expressway, although we dip down Hicksville, Plainview, Bethpage, half of Westbury, a little bit of Mineola. Wow. So. so you go from the city yep. to Nassau to Suffolk. All three. So it's three, 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 uh, it is three, three counties, including yes. Queens County. And did you, ever, did you do a survey in, in, the, in those areas? You know, because a lot many people, you know, let's not kid ourselves. They just vote down the line. They'll, they'll vote Democrat, they'll vote Republican. Uh, but that could change now because Trump, Trump sort of indicated that or showed that when he ran. So did you, did you do that? Did you get an idea uh, of the breakdown, I should say? So this district is what they call in the business a swing district. Oh. So registration is more evenly balanced than many other places in the country. Right. And, for example, uh, voter registration is about 38% Democrat, 32% Republican, but about 30% other, which okay. means that they've purposely chosen not to affiliate with the Democrat or the Republican Party. And that includes um, uh, that includes a variety of other folks. But that's enough of a swing that this district it's within the realm of uh, probability that, that this district can go either way. Wow. So you left that independent. These That's not, you it, know? It's, it's part of the blank and other. It would be other. The yeah. other words, that know? includes independent, independence, reform. It, you know, it includes anybody who's not right. a Democrat or Republican Correct. who's in that other bucket. I understand there is a reform party building up in Queens. You know, have you heard about that? I'm sure you probably There is did. a reform party. Yeah. There is a reform party building up in uh you know, it's Pretty been. Much. I think it's it's increased and decreased its presence over time in, in, okay. uh, on the island and in the district. But it's kind of pretty small registration at this point. I don't think it's a line yet. Do you know? It will be a line, and there's an interesting history. There was a, um, you know, there was a. We went out and we were initially backed by the the reform party right. in the third district, which at the time was primarily the Nassau County um, yes. group. And what happened here is is uh, Tom Swazi. You know, he he did an end run around us. He aligned himself with Bobby Kumar. Right. Who was a uh, had been um, had been formerly involved with the Republican Party, but went to the Reform Party, and um, he I think his claim to fame was he I think he had kidnapped himself, and was known Correct. for um, some pretty shady yes. things. But Tom decided that the Reform Party was important enough for him that he had, he, had, he aligned himself with with Bobby, and uh, somehow they ended up. Taking the reform line from me. Well, I think Bobby Kuma's back in action from what I hear. Of course, somebody from his uh, group uh, interviewed, uh, if you call me and said, when I interview one of their candidates, you know, when the, so they're telling me they expect to get the, was it 50,000 votes that they need? I'm not sure. They need so many signatures, I should say, yeah. uh, in order to be a recognized line in the gubernatorial race. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, I think if, they don't, if they don't get a certain number of votes in this election yes. under the reform line, uh-huh. they'll no longer be allowed to be on any ballots in New York State. Uh-huh. So I think that's what that's – so they're, they're up at death's door. Correct. Uh, they could – yeah, Bobby's trying to you know, get back into action. But it's kind of humor. You know, I mean, it's, it's humorous. Little yes. That re- reform party, generally they're, they're more associated with change – yeah. Candidates, outsiders, and you know Tom Swazi is, is is about as far as you can get from an outsider uh, possible. Yeah. He's a career crony, been in and out of office for 25 years, so it's kind of humorous to see how these two old cronies kind of linked up to to, to take this line. As if it's going to make any bit of difference to him. Yeah, you got to keep closer to the mic, uh, Dan. Sorry. The thing is that uh, you know I go back and I say I go back on quite a bit with Tom. I remember when the uh, mayor of uh, Glen Cove, and uh, he did something interesting. He was a county executive, and he didn't show up for my show. And he, he his people called me to come on, and then he he took Edmund Gano for granted, and uh, because he thought he didn't even have to campaign, because he felt nobody knew an Edmund Gano, like people really uh, don't don't recognize your name yet. And Ed sort of came out and, and beat him, and you know. But anyway, he's scheduled to come back here. And because uh, he has to get equal time, because you're on the, and you are running against him. But some important issues you have to talk about, uh, aside from talking about him as a professional politician, the professional runner, whatever. Uh, we have big concerns, and, and actually, and, and it touches the the uh, third district where you're running in from Queens to Suffolk County, the opiate crisis that we have here. Uh, Dan, see your thoughts and feeling on regard to that. Look, it's a it's a terrible plague, and this is a crisis that cuts across economic lines. Mm. Um, more often than not, there is some other kind of familial stress associated with these epidemics. But I think uh, I think it's going to take collaboration at all levels of society to help improve uh, the numbers here. You know, it's quite devastating to see um, friends, neighbors, you know, the children of friends and neighbors fall victim to this. Right. And it's something that needs a very dedicated and widespread response from everybody from giving parents support in the workplace, helping them deal with mm. it, to uh, counseling resources in the schools, to in general, though, which I think has a more outsized impact on it than anything else, is giving young people, and old people of all ages, really, right. more of a sense of hope. Because what's happened to Long Island, much of this nation, is there's many, many parts of the nation in which people have simply lost hope in their future. Mm. As we get into the specific reasons as to why I'm running, why now, how I'm going to win, yeah. we've we've been through some very difficult times since the credit crisis, particularly here on Long Island, and the opioid crisis is one of the manifestations of that stress. Mm. So you know, where I'm thinking I can be impactful in that is to helping strengthen families uh, in every way from um, financially, job opportunities, and making sure that they have a full set of resources at their disposal should opioids find their way into the home. Right. Uh, hopefully. Uh Another big problem, and Trump actually, Donald Trump, our president, actually came out here, showed his concern, and uh, MS-13. I don't even have to explain to the audience. Most everyone knows what MS-13 is as we're speaking. Your thoughts on the MS-13, another crisis, so, although it minimized to a degree. What I would say, Lou, is my district and Long Island is, and, and the parts of Queens that I represent, this is one of the best places to live in the country in the uh-huh. world. And I have been to probably more than 40 countries at this point. I've been to most nooks and crannies in the United States when I was in the Navy. Uh, believe it or not, land, uh, I've been inside the state since I was uh, a soldier, really, inside the Navy. Right. This is one of the best places to live. And we've started off this discussion talking about two of the things that are uh, negatively impacting us. Uh-huh. Um, but I, I want to make sure that I stress, that, you know, this is the best place to be. So with regards to MS-13, it's another terrible scourge. Right. And, and I think what happens here 
there's a lot of forces at play that have led to the growth of MS-13 in the United States, in Long Island in particular. Uh, again, a lot of them are driven by economics. We have, they're driven by economics and open borders. And when you combine open borders with lack of economic opportunity, you create an environment in which gangs can flourish. And we'll get, I'm sure, further on to the differences between me and my opponent. Tom Swazi is an open borders, full right. amnesty um, advocate of sanctuary. About sanctuary, that also I think correct. I'm not. Sp- I'm not certain specifically on sanctuary, okay. but I know. I know he believes in full amnesty. You know, this MS-13 has com- comes about because of uh, people entering the com- country illegally. Correct. Lack of monitoring, lack of follow up by law enforcement. And or really by the courts, not law enforcement. So those are those are yeah. all things that we need to continue to address and be vigilant at. I will say that in our district in particular, you know, the areas that it affects is generally Huntington, and we have a tremendous law enforcement effort that are doing their best right. to d- diminish and reduce the risk right. inside our district. Right. Even, I, yes, even though you, you, it is a great middle class America area, which it is the third. But you being a congressman, you have, you're going to have some input in regard to this when you're sitting in Washington, you know. So even if it doesn't affect your district, you still have to you have to have a say, you know. Absolutely. And, you and know. really, what I would say is, you know, the, the number one reason I'm running. New York lacks leadership. We lack a representative in mm. Congress who's going to represent our interests and not the interests of big corporations and special interests. This is, and this goes across the board from economics to immigration. And I think that where I can be helpful on immigration is, you know, we're all at some point or another the descendants or immigrants ourselves. And when I think about immigration, I think about the experience of my wife, who is a first-generation immigrant. She came to this country when she was about 10 years old, right. not speaking any English, and she's a Latina. And right. she came in on a green card, and she came in the right way, and she followed the rules, and she waited her turn. And after a while, she ultimately became an American citizen. And my children are Latinas, and a Latino, they're Hispanic. And we know what's right, and we know what's wrong. And I would say that there is probably over a billion people in this world of ours who would like to come to the United States. We have to have a process. We have to have procedures. They have to be fair, and they have to be followed. And what's happened with, and this really starts at the top, and this started mostly, uh, this, this started probably even before Obama, the law was not enforced, and it's created this terrible situation in which the law was was not enforced on purpose. So we have millions and millions of people in this country who are ill- who have who have entered illegally, and now right. the problem rests upon us. And I would say the first thing that you do, and, and you'll hear, I'll talk about this when we get to economics as well. When you find yourself in a hole, the first thing that you do is stop digging. Step number one: we have a right to a sovereign nation with a border, which means we have to know where the line is. Just like you have a house with a front door that you lock or a gate, mm-hmm. we have to have a border. It has to be defined. People have to know where that border is. We can't have people simply walking across. Uh, a piece of farmland right. or an open field and, right. and then declaring themselves asylum seekers. So I, I have a very strong opinion. The law needs to be enforced. We need to have a border. You want to call it a wall? Yes, I believe in a wall. You know, call okay. whatever we want. A, a gate, a fence, something Good. that's not penetrable okay. and something that can be policed. Well, you know, you mentioned the right We had a right way. I don't know if you know it. My parents and grandparents came in the right way. That was called Ellis Island. That was the wall, you know, at that time. I talked about my uncle that was sent back. And then he was sent back because he had a cough. And then he did come back. He, then he, then he, came, he was able to come back uh, two years later. But, you know, so we're talking about when, when you hear my, my, everybody came as Im- immigrants. They didn't just walk across, like you said. They didn't just walk across the field, right. you know. They were examined, you know, they were investigated. And uh, anyway, so we did have a, a, a right way. Maybe that's the way we, we have to do. But uh, 
Okay. So Although we have, I mean, there's yes. there's something like 11 consulates and, and or embassies south of our border. Right. In Latin America, uh, and that's the right way. Correct. You know, the wrong way is to show up at our door oh, this, with mm-hmm. a group packed into a truck. Uh, that's the wrong way. Yeah. And those people should be turned back instantly. I, I don't, I can't quite comprehend why, right. you know, we, why they come and then all of a sudden they get, you know, a lot of them get cash payments. Right. Uh, they instantly get medical care, orthodontics in some cases. It's, you know, and I have a lot of, you know, I, I have family members who can't pay for orthodontics, and I see some of these illegal immigrants with brand new state-of-the-art orthodontics. Absolutely. And you know, I, I, I got to say, it doesn't it doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't fit well with the average right. working American. Doesn't feel right. I have to tell you that. Just to, it isn't because we know of uh, us growing up, and I say myself, I use that as an example. You know, raising kids, and you had to pay for everything, work two jobs, and things like that. And uh, yeah, now you can just walk in and get all these different things that uh, the average working American could or cannot afford. Uh, and often, what you hear from the left is how a lot of these uh, people are asylum seekers. But what w- goes back to having a process? If we really want to take in that many asylum seekers, you know, we have to decide that together. Right. But there's a there's a lot of places in the world which probably have. Um, a lot more um, uh, reason for us to let in. And I'm th- thinking about people in South Sudan mm. uh, and the Congo, other parts of Africa and the Middle East, where they're really victims of genocide, uh, as opposed to most of the people we see coming in from Latin America on foot are here for economic opportunity, which, look, we all, we right. all like, we all want for ourselves. But right. like I said, we have to prior, we have, there's a billion people who want to come in. We can't just willy-nilly let in the first, you know, million yeah. that happen to show up at the, at the, at the gate. We've always been the the only moral country, moral country in the world, you know, and we accept, we pretty much, you know, open our doors. That's our, our policy, but we have to because of exactly we're getting a lot of the wrong people. That's what you know, and that's uh, yeah. So the immigration process, you do agree with the wall, and uh, now I just want to get back into to little law enforcement. Is that uh, one of the you know in uh, New York City as an example? It was a stop and frisk policy for many many years in the city of New York, and uh, you see what's going on in, uh, in Chicago. Just last week, and 72 young people were shot. You saw that and knew about that, right? And uh, years ago, cops had the opportunity and are using their judgment. And I got to tell you this: uh, they were wrong sometimes, obviously. But nobody got hurt. They let the person go. But the bottom line was they were getting guns off the street, you know. So under the, and and I don't see uh, the governor, you know, or this administration, including Tom Swasey, you know, being concerned about the homicide rate. They say it's low. The shootings and all these different things. I mean, uh, I want to just talk about crime in general. The stop and frisk program. I don't know. I know as a Congressman, that might be in your realm, but I still like to know your your thoughts on that. That that was the tool that cops were able to use. And if you you you, you know, every weekend now, there's a young young kid in Bronx or especially Bronx and Brooklyn, you know, are being shot every weekend. And the gangbangers are carrying guns now because they know the cops are not going to search them. Just how you want to get your thoughts on that? Lou, let me let me give you some context. I grew up in a in a large Irish and Italian family, and the, the family was comprised of cops teachers, a couple of nuns. Everybody was a public servant. Everybody was a soldier or a sailor. Correct. Uh, my grandpa uh, was a police officer in New York City in the 6th Precinct down in the village oh. uh, during the Great Depression into the, into the 30s and right. um, into the 40s as well. My Uncle Dave was a New York City detective. And Eileen was also a New York City police officer, one of the, one of the uh, more successful women. Cousin Kathleen, also at, uh, oh. carrying arms at this time. 
there's a lot of police officers in the family, and I will say that I was involved with Giuliani's uh, presidential run back uh, when he ran. And um, his policy of, you know, started with the squeegee men, you know, small crimes. I, I'm a full subscriber have, to that. I think uh, It's called the quality of life initiative. Yeah, I, I think you start small. And my family has always ingrained on that to me. Like, that's why you get up in the morning, you make your bed. You know, little things turn into big things later on. It's important for us to uh, to enforce the law in, in every way, shape, and form. And I think that starts small. And I think that the, we, we need a strong police presence on the streets, particularly in high-crime areas. They need to be properly trained, well-funded, which they generally are. Mm-hmm. Um, they generally are. Yeah. So uh, I, I like the direction we're going. We have, you know, what's nice about our district is we have not only the, the Nassau and the Suffolk County Police Although I, t- I have to say I haven't seen a New York State trooper in many, many years on the island. Oh, okay. Um, but we but have a, we have our county police forces, and we also have a lot of local police forces. And right. they're they top-notch professionals. Yes. Um, I grew up with them in the village of Northport. Now yes. I have to go through I have to go through two village police forces to get to my house. Oh. Northport, Asherokan, they're there. They're present. Correct. They're around. It works. Yeah, it does. And work. that's what we need. And you know, to the extent that we can export that model to other parts of the of the district that haven't had such a presence, I'm all for it. And I think it works. Well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate. I was one. I was involved in Rudy Giuliani's uh, quality of life initiative uh, because I was his law enforcement liaison. And uh, it worked. It worked. And I could tell you this. I have to talk about myself a minute. I don't want to steal your time away. But as the chief of the sheriff's department under Rudy Giuliani. He closed up all those smud joints on Times Square, the prostitution, the drugs, the pedophilia, all that stuff. He stopped it. And I, how do I know? Because it's the sheriff's department that closed them down. Not the police department, by the way. People get confused. It's a civil action. And I was fortunate enough to be standing on the corner of him kicking down the knocking down doors that I did with my men, you know, to get in these. Obviously, we had warrants, but uh, the place was closed. We use any kind of that. We got to get in the place, but we lost that. It's gone. It's gone. The Bloomberg pretty much continued it, by the way, Mayor Bloomberg. And uh, but this mayor, it's gone back. And I'm going to say it's gone back to David Dinkins. I have to say that because I've been around. I've been around to all these mayors, and I was city employee on the most of these mayors. But anyway, uh, I'm, I'm glad you uh, agree with that concept as far as uh, the police are concerned. Uh, Look, what we did in the city, it worked. You know, I, I came of age during Koch. Right. And uh, when I went into the city during high school, it was a very different picture than when I went into the city when I first moved there after Correct. after business school. I mean, it was a, it was a different place. Times oh. Square was gone, as it had formerly been known. And that's all because of these diligent uh, law Correct. enforcement efforts. Well, I, I, I take, give myself credit for being part of it. I was just fortunate. <laughs> right place, right time, and, and working for him. And... Uh, Okay. Another, there's an issue that's very, uh, that I, I pretty much talk about, and it's a major controversy, controversy, this gun control thing. And I agree, I don't know what your thoughts are, in, in, in light of losing all these young kids in the schools by head cases coming in and killing all these young kids. I believe in arming school faculty, obviously under guidelines. We all, you know, I'm not just saying give them a gun, you all know that, you know. Uh, pretty much trained, educated, and optional. You, you know, because we have to, that's the only answer for me in my over half a century experience in this business. That's our only answer. So you, your thoughts on, uh, in, in light of what's going on throughout the country, killing our kids, these wackos going in there, your thoughts on arming uh, educators or school faculty? What we've seen in the last decade or so in these school shootings is abominable. 
and it's it, it you know using the word breaking your heart isn't really powerful enough right. to, to to portray the feeling You're that right. we all experience in this. It's an absolutely terrible scourge. We all want to do everything we can to minimize violence, both in the schools and in society in general. And I, I think you know among them, it's important to try and understand what has changed in our society such that the stigma that that existed for Hundreds of years. Right. I mean, back in the in the 70s and 80s, in Long Island, there were still gun clubs. Kids took their rifles to school. Right. And there's some kind of cultural change happened probably somewhere in the last you know you know t minus 10 to t minus 20 years mm. in which somehow the stigma of shooting unarmed helpless people uh, was removed. And it's it's just a tragic moment in the evolution of you know in, in, in human history. Um, with regards to to guns in the schools, what we're starting to see on Long Island is the democratic process uh, at work. And what I mean by that is you're seeing this is a decision. Arming guards, particularly in Long Island, is a decision left to the local school boards. We have among the best schools in the the nation, we have an incredibly talented workforce, student body, type A driven uh, Americans here. These are people who know what they want in their schools, and you're seeing it in school district by school district. Some of the school districts have already put armed guards in place, mm-hmm. and I welcome that choice for those okay. people. If, if, if a school district wants to have armed guards, I am all for it. If a school district chooses not to have armed guards, um, I would have to believe that that has been carefully weighed and, 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 and has been uh, processed, that has gone through the democratic process for that particular district, whatever their, their governance mm-hmm. is, which is generally right. a, a one man, one vote type of, uh, type of situation. Right. So I'm, I'm happy to see them, some of this, I'm happy to see some schools implementing it uh, personally i want my children protected by an armed guard right. so, well, obviously we uh, pretty much all do kids and grandkids and uh, uh all right uh my guest is dan de bono he's running for the third third congressional district in uh, queens nassau and Suffolk, pretty much the north shore so uh, if you live out there I, you know uh, you, you know I don't, I, you, do you think, I know we had a lot of military people, and, and, and you talking about, well, I was talking about McCain with the previous, or he mentioned his name, the previous uh, guest, you know. Do you think you'd make a better uh, congressional candidate or senator or politician being a former Navy SEAL because of your, your discipline, your training? Do you, you feel that, or uh, better, you know, just, you know, your thoughts on that, because I, I have my own thoughts. On Are you comparing with John McCain? Uh, well, what I'm just saying, I, he, was, he was just mentioned in uh, my previous guest mentioned his name. So uh, other than him, there hasn't been too many people, and especially I, I don't know of any Navy SEAL, a lot of Marine guys in the Marine Corps and things like that. But uh, We know. need more veterans in positions That's of leadership the in the United States. Great. Absolutely. Look, John McCain is a great American. John McCain, his contributions to this country are um, okay, well, on, on par with again. The, 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 the highest achievers no in our history. Yeah. There's, exactly. There's, there's no comparison. The the differences, um, or really what I bring to it's interesting, Lou. You know, I, I served as a Navy SEAL for four years during yeah. Gulf War One in Bosnia, and it was absolutely, it was a life uh, it was a life-changing experience. I was exposed to some pretty difficult and intense training. I was exposed to the toughest warriors in the world, mm. the most hardened men in the world, who put us through a regime for six months that was just as hard as you can imagine. And, you know, what gets forged out of that is a will to succeed. And that will to succeed can be present in people who don't go through that training. Right. But certainly it's, it's easier to understand and believe that it is present when you do see somebody who has come through that. 
Um, the other interesting thing about what makes me a good candidate is I also have 20 years of experience on Wall Street. Right. I spent 20 years in the banking and investment sector as a financial executive mm. uh, doing a, you know, I would say, a, it all sounds the same to some people, but it was a, you know within finance, it's a wide range of jobs. I advise corporations. Right. I help them raise money. I help them with their strategy. Mm. And I also served as steward of capital for institutions, which means I would, uh, working with a team, our job was to help decide how to protect, preserve, and grow money uh, belonging to a wide variety of groups, including wealthy individuals, but including uh, endowments, universities, pension funds. Uh, it was it was a job that required, uh, in order to succeed, you needed a pretty comprehensive understanding of both economic and governmental policy, which right. was a, which makes this a natural segue uh, into this into this job. Yes, I think so. So yeah. that 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 is you know there's so I would say there's two aspects right there's the, the leadership training that I had or endured and enjoyed. You know, people tell me, you know, they find out I was a SEAL or they find out I served in the Navy, they say, thank you for your service. And I always smile and I say, well, thank you. You're welcome, but thank I you. Know, if, you know, if you know how good it was. You know, we, that was something we loved with all our hearts, right. and we, put our, we did put our lives on the line willingly. Right. Yeah. And we followed orders from our commander-in-chief. And, you know, I remember when you're, when you're in the military, you don't have time to say, uh, or you don't think about politics. You think about leadership and a chain of command. And... Um, and people ask me, you know, do I support the president? I say, the president is our commander in chief. I absolutely support right. he, him. He's our commander in chief. He is the he's the elected president of the United States. Like him or not, he is your president, my president. He is our president. His success is our success. If you don't like him, that is fine. We have a country of differing opinions. If you don't like him, express your opinion in 2020 at the ballot box. Right. You know, there's I just, just so like much division I, in this country. Yes, I've good. seen it. I've oh. read about it. I've felt it. It's been happened to me and my family. Um, the right place for that is at the ballot box in the newspapers yes. and discussions. It's not physical harassment and intimidation. Well, that's what's happening now, which you know. That's how, they're, that's how they're expressing their opinion, which you could see, which pretty much hasn't been done before. Look, yeah, the frightening know. thing about this is, is this, this isn't, you are hearing from senior members of the Democratic Party um, words of incitement words to harass and it's not just Maxine Waters you know Maxine Waters has been pretty vocal about her pretty desire yeah. to have the president impeached on, on what crime oh, we don't know we don't even know you know I mean we, we don't know it's been a year and a half and there's absolutely no evidence of anything right. um, but it's not just Maxine Waters right here in the third district Tom Swazi March town hall I was there okay there was question was asked what happens if President Trump does not uh, strengthen sanctions on Russia like we want him to correct and Tom Swazi's answer after some mumbling um, was that's where the Second Amendment comes in. So you have a established sitting congressman who said, if Trump does not do what we want him to do, that is where the Second Amendment comes in. He tried to walk back those remarks, but I, I point to things like that and Maxine Waters' comments as part of the drivers of this hostile environment. Now, I don't blame Tom for what happened to Steve Scalise. That was before he made those comments. Right. But you know what, what, what I also say is the problem with speaking in this manner, but the way that Maxine speaks, and, you know, harass, get in their face, sh- uh, shout them out at the museums, at the gas stations. The problem with that is, is the fear that it turns into physical violence. But I, it, it's not a fear. It's happened. It happened to Steve Scalise. I, I went to dinner with Steve about, maybe it was six months ago. Right. And he's a different man since he was shot. It's, it, it's just not fair. It's yeah. not fair to, to shoot somebody like that. Uh, uh, he was in a lot of pain, and this is... It's it's just a terrible terrible thing, and it's it's a it also shows the gap in leadership um, in this country when you have leaders not standing up and saying, "Look, I I renounce all violence or harassment." Correct. This is a country of debate, 
we are one team, we are one country, and often we have different opinions, but the way to express those different opinions, again, is through debate and persuasion. Speaking of debate, are you willing to debate with Tom Swazi? I'm, I'm hoping to debate. We will, we will, Tom Swazi will debate me, and, you know, several times. Okay. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. Okay. You know, some of the things you said using Maxine Waters as an example, you know, actually in the law book, it's inciting a riot pretty much, you know, and that would be enforced in my time, you know, but some reason, some reason they seem to be except from, uh, you know, promoting a threat, inciting, you know, uh, inciting a riot, which is pretty, if you read the book, the penal law, that's pretty much what it's. It, it spells out. What can you do better? What can you know? We, we've got so many different issues here in uh, Long Island, and even in the Third Congressional District. Even though it's a great district, we're having a water problem issue with our water. You know, are your thoughts have been involved in that? What we could do with that? Because we're in a we're in a level where we're having like, especially in the Beth. You you're in the Beth Page area, I would think, right? Beth yeah, Page is in the district. Yeah. That's correct, and that's where the, one of the major issue there from the old Gorman and. the in fact, it, it seems to be like sort of a, one of the top high cancer rate areas. I mean, you, you know, I don't expect you to, to, to be a genius on all this stuff, but your thoughts on that? What can no, you do? No, you know, look, look, I, I, I grew up in Northport. It's a, it's a, uh, it's a water community. It's a beach community. Right. Uh, my dad was a gardener. You know, he, he took an early retirement. He, he grew up in poverty in the Lower East Side of Manhattan, and then he was, you know, he retired. He was just. He was, I was born. He was very, very happy. Uh, to just sit in his backyard and garden, like like a, like a. a where good, was he? Like well, he got time. two minutes left. Where was he? He in was in Northport. No, where was he in the Lower East Side? Oh, uh, one forty-six Norfolk Street. Okay, that's my old neighborhood. Well, it's, I, I, it's, I wonder if I know you, <laughs> DeBono. I have to figure this out. Dan DeBono. He was a teacher his whole life. Ah. So we, we look. We're, I'm an outdoorsman. Yes. I'm a gardener myself. I spend all right. my free time gardening. And wow. I absolutely love it. A clean environment is crucial for me, my family, yours. You know, clean water, clean air, everything. What happened with Northrop Grumman is a travesty. You know, look, Northrop Grumman was an important manufacturer right. for this country. For long, it was an important employer for Long Way Island back. for a very long time. And not surprisingly, they left pollution. Oh, you know, they, they, le- they left some pretty nasty stuff in the ground. There's been lost. There's been litigation. There's been attempts to clean this up for a long, long time. But I will say is that you know another suit was recently fired, filed. I feel terrible for the residents of the area. You know these right. are not people who can just say, I'm going to move to uh, Brookville. You know they're not going anywhere. They can't. They, they are. But, but uh, Northrop Grumman needs to step up, take responsibility, and rectify the situation. What okay, I always correct. highlight is you know Northrop Grumman happens to be Swazi's biggest donor, uh, yes. and he's been I'm silent. I just said that he's been silent. Be so too. it's it's you know it's kind well, of a, it's exemplifies the bought and paid for mentality that I. I rail against that all you the time. Have to, good. Oh, my guess, we just we ran out of time. Dan DeBono, uh, just quickly, your area you're running against. So the people from Queens, just mention that, from Whitestone. The 3rd District of, of New York is the north shore of Long Island from Kings Park High School in the western part of Smithtown all the way to oh. Queens, the Whitestone Bridge, down to the Long Island Expressway. Oh, Dan DeBono, great uh, person to run for Congress. Thank you for being my guest. Thanks, Lou. And I'll see you at the, hopefully the debate. Uh, this is uh, Lou Tolano. Thanks for listening to Streetwise, and I'll catch you later. You've been listening to Streetwise on the station that serves your community. WGBB AM 1240 and W240DF-FM 95.9. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.